0: Hello and thanks for tuning in to another Fisher Investments Market Insights podcast. My name is Naj Srinivas, Group Vice President of Client Communications here at the firm. And on today's podcast, we actually want to feature an excerpt from a recent client webinar we held regarding the recent volatility that we've seen that started really January this year. In this webinar, we'll talk a little bit about the recent market actions we've seen, why we think this is much more representative and characteristic of a correction, which is very different than a bear market, some of the signs that we look for and how to navigate a bear market, and then just some general thoughts on common client questions that we've heard from our client events around the country so far this year. So hope you enjoy, and I'll rejoin you at the end of this excerpt. My name is Josh Einhorn, and I'm a Vice President here at Fisher Investments, and I'm joined today by Executive Vice President of Portfolio Management and Investment Policy Committee member, Bill Glasser.
1: Hello, Josh. Hi, Bill. Good afternoon, folks. As Josh mentioned, my name is Bill Glasser. I'm happy to be here with you today, particularly in periods of time like now with heightened volatility. I want to talk more specifically about the volatility that we're seeing here and now. And, you know, sometimes I'm hearing and from investors that you know, today's market environment just feels so much more volatile. And I think sometimes investors, they tend to overestimate current volatility and underestimate historical volatility. But in some ways, the volatility of this year has been pretty normal. And in fact, if you think about 2017, the lack of volatility last year was somewhat abnormal. And that's not to say, you know, the lack of volatility last year is predictive in any way, uh, it's certainly not. But I think in some ways, Given the lack of volatility last year, it leads folks to believe that this year it's even more volatile than it otherwise will. But pretty much what we're experiencing here today in terms of volatility is pretty normal uh, and pretty normal as it relates to investing in the stock market. Now, if you look back at any point in this bull market, there's always been issue after issue after issue for investors to contend with. You know, there's the old saying, if you're waiting for clarity, the market's an expensive place to get it. And the reason for that is because you're never going to have perfect clarity. There's always going to be issues for investors to digest. And going back to the beginning of this bull market, whether it was uh, GM filing for for Chapter 11, you had the Detroit bankruptcy, you've had the fears of the so-called pigs or Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece, and Spain. How many Greek uh, bailouts did we have and Greek defaults? To the government shutdown, I mean, issue after issue, whether it's Brexit here more recently, the French and European elections, I mean, this is just very indicative of the investing environment and all these issues that the bull market, uh, that, 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 that wall of worry that the bull market loves to climb. But as we think about some of the, the, the classic correction characteristics, you know, cor- corrections, they're short they're sharp, they're psychologically driven events, they come out of nowhere, but they also recede just as fast as they come about. And they tend to be based on seemingly plausible news stories. So whether more recently it was based on fears, initially it was based on fears of higher inflation and how that would bring with it higher interest rates, that gave way to really fears of a trade war with China and and the tariffs that each nation was talking about placing on one another. To hear more recently, you've got increased political risk and political uncertainty in Europe and, in particular, in Italy. And as we look at the the investing environment today, certainly those are risks, but we think they're low-probability events to create a global bear market and to create a global recession. Uh, These are plausible classic correction storylines that investors tend to hang their hats on. And another important point, and I mentioned this. In my opening comments, you know, corrections, given how short and sharp they are and how steep they tend to be, we won't try and dance out of the market and try and sidestep them. And the reason for that is because they move so fast. We don't know of anybody who's historically and accurately called a correction, and we won't try and do so either. As uncomfortable and as emotional as corrections can be, the best course of action is just to ride them out. And that might, not, that might not be the comfortable thing to do because when you're in that volatility, you know, there's the urge just to do something, to stop the pain, to stop the bleeding. But many times that can undermine one's investment strategy and the best course of action is to ride them out. And, and despite that, you know, as you think about some of those fears today, whether it's the, the higher interest rates, uh, a trade war with China, or political uncertainty in Europe, what we would say is, that's all set against a backdrop of very strong fundamentals. I mean, globally, you've got yield curves are positively sloped, which is conducive to lending and conducive to economic activity. Earnings growth this year is expected to be 20%. And in fact, if you think about earnings growth in this most recent quarter, it was even more than that. Revenue growth this year expected to be 7 to 8%. Capital expenditures are now starting to accelerate, really for the first time uh, in many years. When you look at the LEIs or the leading economic indicators in the US or Europe, those are high and rising and that tends to be uh, very positive for for, uh, economies on a forward-looking basis. And then what's more is we all know we're coming up in an election year. We've got midterm elections here uh, in November and what we found is that the the stock market is positive 87% of the time in the fourth quarter following the midterm elections and that positive frequency of returns extends itself into the first quarter of the following year and the second uh, quarter of the following year. It's what we refer to as the 87% miracle. Um, So from a political perspective, our sense is that you're gonna have a state of increased political gridlock, which reduces political uncertainty, reduces political risk, and that should be a tailwind for stocks uh, in the US markets moving forward. that's a little bit about corrections. Let's turn our attention to bear markets. And as we think about bear markets, what we've always said is, is a bull market can end in really one of two ways, or a bear market can develop in one of two ways. You can either get the wall or the wall up. And I'll, I'll read to you this quote that that Ken had uh, written about in the USA Today. He said, bull markets don't die of old age or from maxing out some fantasized preset." that allotment of new records they expire when investors run out of worries and reality can't beat lofty expectations or when some huge unforeseen negative worth trillions of dollars wallops everyone and that's a very good description because if you think about the wall you know and you've heard the the old saying that bull markets love to climb that wall of worry and if you think about that 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 slide i shared with you there's never a dull moment That's very indicative because as the bull market climbs that wall of worry and digests issue after issue, at some point it gets at or near the peak and investors become very optimistic and they become very euphoric. And then it becomes very difficult for the market to beat those euphoric expectations. And if the market can't exceed those euphoric and lofty expectations, then it starts to roll over and that can uh, start the process of a bear market. So that's the wall. If you think about the wall-up, as Ken alludes to, it's some big, unforeseen negative that's got the size, magnitude, to wipe trillions and trillions of dollars off global economic growth. And you know, as we look, it, as we look out in the environment today, um, there's lots of risks on the horizon, but we don't think any that have a high probability of having that wall-up potential. And here's one way to scale that wall-up. I mean, so much of what we do in investing is, is all about scaling. Because if you think about risks in the marketplace, you always want to ask yourself, well, how big is that risk? And does it have the potential to create a wall up? And so the way to scale that is the global economy in 2017 was about $80 trillion in size. You apply a nominal growth rate to that, and that implies in 2018, we're going to add about $5 trillion to global economic growth. So in order to have a wall up, you need to have a big unforeseen event or a series of events that cumulatively can wipe $5 trillion off global economic growth. That's enough to get you a global recession, and the markets will react in anticipation of that and discount that ahead of time. That can get you a global bear market. But again, issue after issue that we've analyzed here today, we don't see that as being a high probability. Now, if we were to foresee a bear market, there's a number of rules or disciplines, I like to call them, heuristics that we've developed over, over the years that helps us manage assets and deal with the volatility as we go through those bear markets. And so these four disciplines are the 2% rule, the 3-month rule, the 2 one third one rule, and the 18-month rule. The first starts with the 2% rule. And quite simply, what this says is that bear markets, they tend to decline about 2% on average per month. Now you contrast this to a correction. Corrections decline about 7% on average per month. So corrections tend to be a lot steeper. They tend to be a lot sharper. And in fact, if you look at the most recent period, peak to trough, markets fell about 9.4%. That transpired over eight trading days. That's classic correction activity. As you think about bear markets, they're not that sharp. They're not that steep. They tend to roll over slowly. They die with a whimper, not with a bang. And on average, they fall about 2% per month. Sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. But on average, 2% per month. Now the three-month rule kind of speaks to that rolling top nature. What the three-month rule says is that if you think you've identified the peak of the market, you want to wait at least three months before you get out and take a defensive posture. And the reason for that is because you have that slow rolling tops, because they die with a whimper, not with a bang, you're afforded to wait three months and you don't get hurt that much, you don't give up that much in losses and you're allowed to evaluate three months of additional incoming data to validate your decision. Now that takes us to the two-thirds, one-third rule and quite simply what this says is that two-thirds of the bear market decline typically comes in the final third duration of the bear market. And this really speaks to the capitulation that tends to happen when you get into the final stages of a bear. It's also indicative of the rolling top nature as bear markets tend to unfold. So you know, once you've hit that bear market bottom, markets tend to rebound just as violently as they, as they crash. Just as, as you get the, that, that violent capitulation the rebound off the bottom can be just as significant, and so you want to make sure that you get reinvested and you get re-equitized to make sure you capture the upside that follows. Because you know, following every bear market, there is going to be a bull market, which takes us to the 18-month rule. And really what this says is that you never want to be defensive for more than 18 months. Because if you've been defensive for 18 months, chances are you've probably already had some decent success in, in sidestepping the bear market. So you want to make sure you get back in so you capture the upside that follows. Now, as we kind of wrap all that up in the discussion about corrections in bear markets, and we ask ourselves, given what we know about the current market environment, do we think this is more of a correction or a bear? And we believe that all signs point to a correction. You know, we've gone back and we've studied every bear market going back to the 1920s, and we've said to ourselves, what are some, some of the prevailing features? What are some of the common causes that tend to present themselves as a the bear market unfolds? Certainly, this correction started off as very short, sharp, and steep. Uh, we believe it's been based on overhyped scare stories. The decline, I think it's debatable. You know, we got 9.4%. Maybe markets experience some more weakness, and we get into that classic definition of, of correction territory. But for all intents and purposes, we think it, 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 it's characterized as a correction. And then corrections typically recover very, very quickly. We haven't seen that this time. This one's kind of dragged on a little bit longer than we'd otherwise expect. So maybe there's some debate there from a technical perspective if we've got that slow rolling top. Uh, but more fundamentally, if you think about the potential for a wall-up, we don't see a high probability of it being out there. Euphoria, typically at the top of a bull market, you get elevated levels of sentiment. You get euphoric sentiment. We don't see that today. At the top of a market, there tends to be a disproportionate number of low-quality IPOs being brought to the market, uh, resulting in a lot of equity oversupply. We also don't see that here today. And in fact, M&A activity uh, is actually destroying equity at a faster rate than equity is being created. Signs of a recession don't see imminent. We don't see a liquidity freeze, also regulatory events. So all those things, in our view, add up to this being classic correction uh, market activity uh, and not so much a, a broader, bigger bear market.
0: Well, that's all we have time for in today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed and found that educational and informative. If you have feedback, please email us at editors mmficom at fi.com. I'd love to hear your feedback on this podcast or really any of the other communications that you might receive from us, whether that be our website, marketminder.com, or our digest that we host every week detailing some of the top stories that we've written on marketminder.com. Thanks so much for listening. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. The content of this podcast represents the opinions and viewpoints of Fisher Investments and should not be regarded as personal investment advice. No assurances are made. We will continue to hold these views, which may change at any time based on new information, analysis, or reconsideration. Copyright 2018 Fisher Investments.